There are some stories that bear repeating over and over. Harriet Tubman's is one. A new movie about the heroic abolitionist known as the Moses of her people is coming out next month. Known for escaping from slavery and helping to establish an underground railroad network to free others, Tubman may also have been Harriet the Spy. Historian and best-selling author Elizabeth Cobbs dives into Tubman's involvement as a nurse and a scout serving the Union Army. She was the first African-American woman to do so. Well, The Tubman Command is a novel imagining Tubman's role during a critical point of the war. I spoke with Cobbs when the book first came out and asked her what we know of Harriet Tubman's early life and escape from a Maryland plantation. Yes, well, she was a young woman. She was 27. She was married, which I think a lot of uh, people don't realize. Um, and she wanted her husband to go with her, and he would not. <clears throat> he was actually a free man. And so it's, it's, it's one of these, as love is always complicated, right? She wants him to go, but he doesn't want to leave everything he knows. And so she escapes by herself and on her own. And she gets to freedom, and she, she's 27, it's 1849, you know, long before anybody knows, knows there will be a civil war that slavery will ever end. You know, and there's no knowledge of that. And, um, and she gets to freedom, and she sort of looks at herself and looks at her hands and thinks, you know, how can I, what is it like to be free and have no one you love with you? And to know that everyone you love, especially her, her biological family, her brothers and sisters and mother and father, are trapped. You know, they're behind, they're in chains, um, just, you know, 100 miles away or whatever. And so she decides to go back. And that's what leads Harriet Tubman to become such a famous figure. She goes back. We don't know exactly how many times because every time it was a crime. But she she's the only person we know of in American history who went back so many times as she did, who freed so many people and was never captured. There's some people who had gone back several times but were ultimately captured. So she's the only person who does this and who gets away. So she's a consummate escape artist. Mm. Um, and she sets up, as you just said, this network. Um, she works with others who are in the part of this larger effort of the Underground Railroad. But she essentially gets people from Maryland, which is the area she knows best and knows like the back of her hand over time, and smuggles them out again and again and again to Canada and New York. But then the crazy thing here is, you know, a lot of abolitionists, once the war breaks out, you know, they do what sensible people do. They let the armies do what armies do, which is to fight it out. But Harriet Tubman goes back. But now she has left, and in, in the book opens, it's May of 1863. She's in South Carolina, low country. How did she get there? Well, she goes there in 1862, and then in 1863, she's planning this raid. And you know what? So this is interesting. She's sent. She's sent by the governor of Massachusetts, who writes, you know, on her behalf and basically says the government needs to pay for her, this woman's travel down to South Carolina. And he recommends her to the, to the man who is the general of the occupied sea islands of, of uh, South Carolina. So these are all occupied or, you know, the ones that the union is in control of. Um, David Hunter is the commander of those. And he, she's recommended to Hunter as a valuable woman. Now, Virginia, I know about you, but I've never been recommended as a governor of anything as a valuable woman, you know, who, Not who yet. needs to be listened to. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Well, that's true. Um, so she goes and and she's there for a bit over a year before we believe she was, you know, placed in charge of planning this raid or initiated the raid. 
this is a crucial point in the war. Give us a sense of what's going on strategically in the battle uh, between the North and the South. Why this location, the South Carolina Sea Islands, considered critical to the Union? Yeah, today we would think of this perhaps as a backwater, a quiet, quiet spot. But at the time, uh, you know, no one thought the North was going to win. Even Northerners, most Northerners did not think the North would win. Keep in mind, uh, Virginia, that the South is bigger than all of Europe. Hmm. So consider that. You know, how is, how is a country going to keep another hypothetical country, all the size of Europe, you know, in its grasp. And so the one of the key things they have to do is to blockade the Confederacy to the extent possible because, you know, countries in Europe think this is not going to work out. They're supplying both sides. And so blockade runners are trying to supply the South with uniforms and, you know, guns and gunpowder and all the things that the South has in such limited supply and can't mostly produce for itself. And so they have to have the, a base for that navy, and it's struggling. Oh my gosh! So this is the this is the deepest pit, you might say, of the Civil War. You know, hundreds of thousands have already died. There's no end in sight. So this is before Vicksburg and Gettysburg, which some listeners will know is the big are the big turning points in the war. Um, and so it looks like the North is going to lose. And it's at this point that Harriet Tubman begins to plan a raid. A daring raid, an unheard of kind of expedition by black soldiers. Um, ultimately, there will be two American gunships that she helps to lead up the Cumbie River, 25 miles into what was then known as enemy territory, if you were a Union officer. You mentioned that she was described by the governor as a valuable woman. But let's think, you know, you describe her as a five foot slender woman. She's often photographed, extremely recognizable, $12,000 bounty on her head. Why would she be a good candidate for a spy to lead a or a scout to lead a mission like this? You know, for the very reasons you said, she's five foot tall. She's a tiny little thing, like a strong wind might blow her away. And she looks kind of like nobody, but she must have had one of these faces that's very changeable. She was described, by the way, as good-looking, fine-looking, I should say, on her um, runaway notice, which meant that she was a pretty woman. Uh, and perhaps when she smiled, she was particularly so. But she was also very good at disguise. And I think that people tend to think, you know, a small woman, what's that? You know, she, she's nothing, but uh, she, whatever. So... This is a novel, right? What What is the true historical record here, and why are you writing it as a novel? What does that allow you to do? Yeah, that's it's such a fabulous question. I, you know, I, I have eight books. This is my eighth book, and five of them are nonfiction, so I mostly have written in nonfiction, as most professional historians do. Um, but I feel that with history... Historians can tell us uh, exactly what the facts are, and historians are not allowed and should never, by our professional standards, make up a single thing. We can't invent a cloud in the sky or certainly anything anybody says, because dialogue is unrecorded in history. Nobody sits around recording our dialogue. We might have a letter, but we don't know what people said or what they felt on a different, on a particular day. But especially in, in relation to um, important people in history about whom we don't have a lot uh, of, a lot of facts, it's kind of, what what the fiction allows us to do is to sort of imagine the the plausible scenarios in between the ap the known facts. I like to say that 
Fiction lights the dark corners of the evidence. Mm. And in relation to women, um, this is particularly helpful because most women's lives are very lightly documented. And so what we know about someone like Harriet Tubman is from other people um, who observed her. She was illiterate, so she never wrote her own. She did not write um, her own memoirs. She had commissioned somebody to do that. But we we don't hear about her in her own voice. Mm. And so if we want to try to think about what Harriet Tubman sounded like. If we want to, you know, walk in her shoes, then this is something that fiction allows us to do. And I'm very conscious as a historian of making sure that it's done in ways that are absolutely consistent with every known fact. My guest is historian and author Elizabeth Cobbs. Her book, The Tubman Command, is a book of historical fiction about Harriet Tubman's real-life role as a scout for the Union Army. Well, I want to pick up on that idea of she thinks at one point to herself in the novel, no one thinks anyone called Moses has a personal life, right? So you are rounding out the character. She's got a history. She has a husband that she left behind. Um, There are plenty of quotes about her, but we don't know how she thinks about her own life. And you write at one point, Harriet Tubman's idea of marriage came from Mama, who thought that that's how matrimony worked. You know, if she was a good wife and Daddy was a strong man, they would be together forever. But Harriet knew that marriage was like a bizarre children's game. Uh, why? Why did you want to start at this point of, of telling a story about the complications of her own romantic unions? Well, I wanted to understand better and portray what motivated Harriet Tubman. Mm. You know, we think of someone, well, they're just born a hero, right? Okay, great. They're born a hero. I wasn't good. I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to act heroically in my own life, right? Um, but what motivates someone who, who chooses again and again to do these heroic things? And, and I thought, you know, one way to do that is to, you know, walk and try to walk into her own heart. And I think partly it's like, in a way, we don't want our women leaders to have personal lives hmm. because that disqualifies them as leaders. It's sort of like men can have these family things on the side, and you know that's not, that's not really in the way of what they're going to do in life. And for women, you know, we sort of strip out those parts of the story. If we think a woman is heroic, then we want them to be the virginal Joan of Arc. <laughs> it's okay. She's burned at the stake. Hey, she does good stuff. <laughs> um, but with Harriet Tubman, I mean, here's a woman who, you know, who was married twice, both times to men um, who apparently found her absolutely irresistible. Uh, her first husband, as I mentioned, was a free man, and he lived in a part of the South, the Upper South, where half of the African-American population was free and half was enslaved. Talk about complicated lives. And so he could have, you know, found another woman to marry, but apparently he decided to marry a woman was so in love with her that he was willing to court and marry a woman who, by whom he would have slave children, and they wouldn't belong to him. Uh, so that what a tremendous sacrifice that would be for any man to make. And then she left him because <laughs> she wanted freedom. So that's kind of where the novel starts is how she feels about having left him and then knowing that after she leaves, he takes another wife. I'm thinking there are so many books written about this tiny, fierce, remarkable woman. You're, but telling this story as a novel and giving her, I don't know, in the popular imagination, uh, it's enough to be an abolitionist hero, right? But 
a spy, you know, a scout, somebody who did this furtive mission gives it a whole different luster. And and I'm wondering if you can reach different audiences than you might with a nonfiction historical tome. Absolutely. No, I mean, I want people who go to the beach... I want read people who are sitting in their bathtubs, right, who are reading, a, you know, can't stop reading and you know, can't turn out the light at night and have to keep going. I think fiction reaches a different part of our brains and a different part of our hearts. I want the world to know why Harriet Tubman should be on the $20 bill. She's our most outstanding female patriot in American history. That is my earlier conversation with author Elizabeth Cobbs. Her latest novel, The Tubman Command, imagines what life could have been like for Harriet Tubman as the first African-American woman to serve in the military. The film Harriet comes out next month. Coming up, a powerful Chamber of Commerce celebrates its birthday, and celebrity chef Deborah Van Treese rescues the long-suffering succotash. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. <laughs> 